This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. So we've got today's sermon and next week's sermon, and that ends our series on the fruit of the Spirit. So the, the pressure is on because we're in the, the final stretch here to get this whole passage memorized. I'm very proud of the way we've been working on this, the success we've all had together. We've been working on memorizing Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 26, this passage that includes the fruit of the Spirit, and we're going to read together today. Uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, uh, that's where we'll be reading. The words will be on the screen behind me. If you want to use the Version app, you can open the app, search under events for Parkview Finley, and you'll find you'll find scripture there. There's no notes today. I'm not suggesting what you write down. You're welcome to write down anything you want. So that's, that's a, a blessing in disguise today. Let's, let's read together or recite from memory if you're ready for that. Galatians 5, beginning of verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. As we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Congratulations. That was excellent. Great job. We got another week to get this fully embedded in our hearts and deeply implanted in our minds so we can live by these words. Now, we're talking today about the fruit of gentleness. And I'm thinking raspberries today. Not, not like blue raz, not the, the flavor that goes in everything that kids eat, but real, genuine raspberries off the plant. And the reason I'm thinking gentleness is because you can't just reach in and grab raspberries. There's thorns everywhere. You come back cut, bloodied, and thorns stuck in your arm. You've got to very carefully get those raspberries off the plant. I, we had raspberries in our garden, and they propagated themselves and took over. We had ended up just just getting them out of there because they just overwhelmed everything, but they are delicious. But when you have a bowl of raspberries, you can't, you can't just dig a hand in there and get a handful of raspberries. They break apart and turn to mush. You've got to very carefully select each berry, pop it in your mouth. It's, it's, it's gentle touch required for harvesting and eating and enjoying a raspberry. So gentleness really is the the mindset you need with that fruit, and it helps us begin, begin to set our minds on what it is that, that we find growing in us by the power of the Spirit, this gentle spirit, this gentle approach, this, this care in our relationships, and, and we have that imagery of, of the gentle touch to eat a raspberry that, that begins the process of thinking about that fruit. One of the things that stands out in my mind specifically about thinking towards gentleness is, is how different it is. The contrast between this fruit in particular, gentleness, and all of the desires of the flesh that Paul listed earlier in Galatians 5, verses uh, 13 through 20, 15? Yeah, 15 through 22, when, when Paul was talking about all of, the, all of the things that exist in our relationships that are, um, that are the hard parts of us, the, the forceful parts of our personalities that come out. This is um, Enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, all these things that, that destroy our relationships, that tear us away from other people, all these, all these rough edges, the, 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 the difficulty, the difficult things, the, the forceful parts of who we are. 
They, they create damage in our lives, damage in our relationships. And we think about what it is to, to take on this, this fruit of the Spirit, to allow the Spirit to work in us and grow this fruit. And, and, and it opposes the desires of the flesh, the selfishness that drives us, and, and has us focus on living according to the Spirit, submitting to His will, and keeping in step with Him as we allow gentleness to become a, a staple, a mark of, of His presence in us. Now, this morning... Since we're talking about gentleness, I thought it would be a great idea for all of us to hear from my gentler half. So I've invited uh, my wife, Becca, to come and, and share in, in delivering the message today. She has been studying. She, she's a biblical scholar. She has done a word study on the Greek word that gentleness comes from and the, the root that's there, the foundation of understanding, the nuances of the Greek language that don't translate well to English. And so she's going to provide for us. Uh, some greater information as we begin to discover what gentleness looks like as a fruit of the Spirit. Hi. Thank you. So as soon as I pick up this ball, I'm sure most people will recognize what it is. A basketball. A smart aleck might argue and say that the object that I'm holding in my hands is a ball. And they would be right. It is accurate to say that this is a ball. And it is true, a basketball is a type of ball, but it is so much more than that, especially to me. Now, I love basketball. I grew up playing it and I've played it for most of my life. It is through basketball that I forged a deep bond with my dad, and it is from playing pickup games on Sunday nights in our driveway against the youth group guys, their dads, and the ministers on staff that I learned how to play aggressively, and shall we say, passionately. When I pick up a basketball and I hold it in my hands, I can feel the texture of the ball and I remember what it's like to play in games. Memories flood into my brain of junior high, high school, and college games, some more vividly than others. I remember what it feels like to dribble up the court and breeze past defenders who thought they could trap me in a full court press. I remember what it feels like to catch a bounce pass as I cut into the lane to make a layup. And I also remember what it feels like and what I told myself as I stood at the free throw line, getting ready to take that shot. Focus, flick your wrist, follow through. The sound of shoes squeaking on the gym floor, of the basketball swishing through the net or banking off the basket backboard and hitting the rim and falling to the floor are still fresh in my ears. And I can still hear the referee's shrill whistle blaring because I committed so many fouls. I can still smell the sweat, some more distinct and pungent than others. I still remember what it feels like to set up the offense and run plays and what it feels like to play defense against guys who were stronger and faster than me and against girls who were a lot taller than I was. I remember what it feels like to win, but I also remember what it feels like to lose. All of these memories come rushing back and are compressed into this one word, basketball. But if I were to go into a foreign country where they did not speak English and where basketball was not known or played to try and introduce those individuals to this sport, I would begin by taking a translator with me who knew their language. And then I would gather everyone together, I would show them this object, and I would say, basketball. 
and then I would wait for the translator to speak in their language and tell them that the object I'm holding is called a basketball. But that one word does not begin to explain everything there is to know about this ball or the sport. And unless I was able to give more description and more explanation and instructions, they'd probably be confused and wouldn't know what to do with this ball. Now they may notice that the ball bounces off the floor easily and that it's fun to pass amongst themselves. But unless I gave them more description and more instructions, would they be able to play a game of pickup and know what the object of that game is. Sometimes, terms do not translate easily into other languages because they require more than a simple word-to-word -word translation. Some words need more description, more development, more explanation so you accurately understand what that word or idea or concept means. This is the same difficulty that we have with English translations of the Bible. The original words and ideas that were written in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic often have greater depths of meaning than what their English counterparts convey. What we read is an accurate definition of the word, but sometimes English words do not accurately convey the intricacies that are associated with the original word of the source language. Today, the word that we're studying comes from the Greek word praus. Now this is a word that does not translate easily into English because it requires more than a simple word-to-word -word translation. Now older versions of the Bible translate this word into English as the words meek or meekness, but you're probably not gonna find those words in your Bible very often today because in most cases, modern translators replace the words meek and meekness with the words gentle and gentleness. Now, depending on your translation and the version of your translation, you may notice that in Matthew 5, 5, the Beatitudes, that the word meek still stands. But when you flip over to Galatians 5, 23, where we are today, where we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, you're probably not going to find that word. In its place, you're going to find the word gentleness. But here's the interesting thing. In both cases, in Matthew 5, 5, and here in Galatians 5, 23, both words pull from the same Greek word, praus. Thank you. So to gain a better understanding of this fruit of the Spirit, we need to recognize what both of these words mean, both gentleness and meekness. So we're going to start with meekness, even though some of you are probably cringing, because for most people, meekness is considered a negative trait. And in our culture, it's used to describe someone who's weak, who's a pushover, or who's unwilling or unable to stand up for themselves. But this is not how it was originally understood. So it helped me to gain a better understanding of how this word relates to Paul's writing in scripture was recognizing how the Greeks used this word to describe the taming of horses, specifically those who are to be used in warfare. Now, the Greeks wouldn't go out into the field and find the horse that was about to kick the bucket and go, that's the horse I want to ride into battle. They wouldn't find the horses that were weak and frail and go, that's the horse for me. They would find the horses that were strong and powerful. But just because a horse was powerful didn't mean that it would automatically become a war horse. War horses were trained for months. They were put through rigorous testing and scenarios and tactics and drills to make sure that they would be capable 
to do what needed done when it came time for war. Because if a horse was inclined to be skittish, it would scare easily and either throw its rider or bolt. Or, if a horse refused to be tamed and ignored the rider's instructions, when it came time to advance or retreat, that horse could impede the effectiveness of the regiment and could possibly endanger its rider's life. The horses that were used for battle had to be strong and controllable. Those horses had not lost their strength, but they had learned to control the instincts that would prevent them from being useful and effective. Biblical meekness is willingly submitting your strength to God's control while you rely on his strength and direction. When we become Christians, we become citizens of God's kingdom and we place ourselves under his direction and care. We are no longer in control. He is. But this means that our lives need to align with his teachings and values. In the Bible, when Jesus used the word meek, he used it to describe not only himself, but how citizens of his kingdom must be. Meekness, biblical meekness, does not imply weakness. Rather, the opposite. It implies strength, strength under control. And, and that's really foundational to our, our relationships, is getting this strength under control of, of understanding meekness and gentleness and the way that they uh, work not only in us individually, but how they bless our relationships. And that's, that's the way the Lord intended for that to happen, that we would reign in our strength, reign in our dominance, get all those things in check so that we can be the kind of influence in the world that the Lord desires for, for us to be. When we insist on being heard, when, when we choose to dominate conversations and become aggressive and, and condescending, we can't be that kind of influence in the world. We can't, we can't make an impact in the lives of others. When we place ourselves in submission to the Spirit and allow Him to work through us, we become an accurate representation through our life and through our words of what that message truly is. So meekness calls us to submit. This means that we need to acknowledge His authority as the authority in our lives. Because meekness does not work in a self-centered life. It will never be attainable to those who refuse to allow God to reign. Meekness is revealed through expressions of consideration and gentleness toward others. And it is accomplished by recognizing, checking, and controlling your reactions, emotions, and responses. The meek are powerful, but they have the maturity and the grace to use their power for constructive rather than destructive or selfish purposes. And the meek are able to do this because they completely surrender and submit themselves humbly before God's will and his control because they trust him. So when we're talking about meekness, we need to keep the words humble, gentle, and submissive in mind. So Paul explains in Galatians chapter 5 that gentleness or meekness is a byproduct of the fruit of the Spirit. So think back to the Greek warhorse. The Greeks knew that the strength of the warhorse had to be controlled or it would never be used in battle. Meekness is like a disciplined, trained warhorse who's responsive and obedient to its rider. 
This means that we have to first yield and submit to God while we're learning from him and responding to him so that we can be meek toward others. This is a great illustration for us to, to frame our thinking about the meaning of meekness and gentleness. And it reminds us that, that this, uh, this concept goes beyond physical strength and dexterity. This is, this is about our, our dominance, our tendency to be superior, uh, the way that we uh, are aggressive in our relationships, the arrogance that builds in us, sometimes even stubbornness, and we dig in our heels, the, the, these rougher portions of our, our personality. And just like horses, if, if we leave these areas of our lives unchecked, we do a lot of damage. The book of James talks about the damage, especially that, that comes from when we don't allow our, our words to be reined in. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, this is what, what he says. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to, to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take a ship as an example. Although they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done and the humility that comes from wisdom. These are, these are significant words for us as we understand what it is to rein in the things that we say. And, and all this time I'm thinking about horses. I'm thinking of myself as, as the rider, of, of, of reining in my tongue, of, of pulling on those reins and holding back. Whoa. But if I'm to understand this passage accurately, I'm not the rider. I'm the horse right into the horse, but I'm the horse. I, uh, the bit goes in my mouth, concealing, c controlling my tongue, and it's the Holy Spirit that guides me, that, that keeps me in check as I learn to trust him, as, as a horse learns to trust its trainer. When I was a child, my father told me about uh, my grandfather, his, his father, that, that growing up on the farm trained horses, and, and the process of, of getting a horse comfortable, putting a rope around its neck, leading up to putting on the bridle and putting a bit in its mouth. I learned after first service that there's also a process of choosing the right bit to go in a horse's mouth, to control it the right way, because that, that bit can be uncomfortable, especially when it first goes into a horse's mouth. There's a process of getting a horse acclimated and accustomed to a bit uh, of, of the, the, the pain that's involved in, in getting that piece fitted properly and, and also getting the right bit fit properly. And for us, that right bit is the Holy Spirit, not choosing our own strength, not choosing our own, our own 
control, but submitting to the Spirit and His power in our lives. Trusting Him to hold the reins and to lead us where we need to go and to guide us and to hold us back when we need to be held back and to, to set us loose when we need to push forward. Paul reminds us that it's the Spirit leading and guiding. And not only leading and guiding, but the Spirit providing the strength that we need to submit. Not having to gain this idea of gentleness on our own, but of submitting to the Spirit and opening our lives up so that He can work through us and in us to appropriately handle those conversations and those interactions with our words, our actions, and even our reactions as we respond to others. And this is something that helps us breathe a little easier because it means that we don't have to work and struggle and, and strive. We can trust the Spirit and surrender more to Him and, and, and know that He will lead us down the right path. Jesus provides an example for us in this way. He said of His own relationship with His Father in John 8, 28, I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak as the Father taught me. And this is what we're striving to do, to learn from the Word of God to submit to his spirit and, and to continually live according to God's will and not push our own agenda, not act in selfish, not, not selfishness and, and, and strive for what we want and say the things we want. We've got a, a video for you as an illustration of what this means. There's a popular TV show. You'll probably recognize the show and the characters. The, the important thing we want you to, to key in on is the struggle that happens within each of us to rein in our tongues. How often have we acted like Amy? While Leonard acted as the voice of reason for Sheldon, we see the outcome of what takes place when we don't have someone telling us to shut up. Oh, but we do, don't we? The Spirit prods us in the same way and is our voice of reason, but only if we will listen and obey. How many times have I heard him tell me to keep my mouth shut? But in my anger and pride, I respond, and I end up hurting someone. Or conversely, he tells me to speak. But I remain silent. In those instances, I'm not exercising meekness. I'm exercising selfishness. I realize that I have allowed the world to tell me how I should think and feel and respond when things don't go my way. when I don't get what I want, and when I feel like someone's hurting, abusing, or neglecting me. The world tells me to fight back, to stand up for my rights, and to push through to get what I want. But this is contrary to what the goal of my life should be as a Christian. If I am truly concerned with being a light in a dark world, then I must relinquish my self-centered attitude where I live for myself. And instead, live under his control so that I can live for him. Sheldon trusted Leonard because he knew his friend wanted what was best for him. He needed Leonard's help. Sheldon realized that he couldn't do it on his own and he would fail if he was left to his own devices. I know there are certain individuals, personalities, opinions, scenarios that get the better of me. There are just some things and people who drive me batty. And then I end up saying something I shouldn't. Then I get mad at myself for failing. And then I think to myself, I'll just try harder next time. 
But being meek isn't about trying harder. It's about trusting God more and submitting to his leading. Because the ability to be meek is not contingent or dependent on our circumstances, but on our relationship with the triune God. Biblical meekness is not refraining from speaking when you're angry, but it is controlling what is said, how it is said, and why it is said. God is not asking that we become doormats so that other people can abuse us, but he is asking that we would allow him to control our strength and allow him to guide and direct us so that other people see a glimpse of him through us. This happens when we learn from and read God's word, when we learn from and follow the teachings of Jesus, and when we allow the Holy Spirit to guide and direct us in our interactions with others. So as we're talking about this fruit of the Spirit, we need to realize that we have to be meek before we can be gentle. So we have a foundation of, of meekness that we build on humility and gentleness to gain a full understanding of what exactly we're being called to here and now. Now, I remember a couple of weeks ago in the Sermon on Goodness, I read a passage from 1 Peter and did something abnormal and just stopped in the explanation because while the passage talked about goodness, it also talked about gentleness. And I told you, when we get to gentleness, I'm going to finish that explanation. It's, it's time. So let's read together that passage again, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 16. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with a blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a re the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. These are powerful words for us to live by. Uh, remembering to, to stand for the, the truth of God's word within the moral boundaries that it provides. To live in a world and communicate with people that message of truth but to do it in the right way. And that's, that's the hard part of living out the gospel and, and sharing that message with people is not just having the right words, but saying the right words in the right way. This is contrary to the way we have so many of our conversations here and now. You look around in the world, and whether those conversations are face-to-face -face or online or on social media, conversations have a way of escalating into arguments so easily. People, uh, there's just this sense of, of unease and, and, and anger boiling under the surface like we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And many times, whether we've started it or not, we find ourselves rising into that argument of, of reciprocating, responding in kind, Insult for insult, evil for evil, the way Peter warns us not to. We know that we should be careful. We know that we should stand for truth in a gentle way. But there's some instinct within us that drives us forward. Maybe 
that instinct is, is competitiveness. I know I struggle with competitiveness. I like to be the one who wins and scores the points. But in, in an, a discussion, that's not productive. Having, having to have the last word and to make the final point and demand that people submit to that perspective. Because in the process of dominating the conversation, people stop listening and are simply waiting for an opportunity to, to speak their mind when we're done. And if our goal is to present the gospel in a way that people can hear and understand and apply, that's counterproductive. Maybe the drive we have is, is to be right and prove other people wrong. And in order for us to hold our truth high, we have to tear down what other people are saying. And in the process, we tear the people who are saying those things down as well. And again, when we're tearing people down, we're removing the possibility that they're going to listen to what we have to say. Instead, we're injuring them emotionally. Maybe we have this in instinctive desire to be affirmed. So while we're having our conversations, while we're talking and arguing, what we really want is for people to acknowledge our intelligence. We want people to see how much we've studied, how much we know, how right we are. And our desire isn't really to present truth in an understandable way. Our desire is to be known as true and intelligent. And we allow the message to suffer in that process. Maybe we've just allow that defense mechanism to kick in. And the reality is that while we're having a discussion, we run out of answers. And instead of just plainly saying, you know what, I, I really don't know. Instead, we get aggressive and argumentative and condescending. And what we're doing is trying to hide the fact that we don't have any more answers. We face these conversations all the time. And each and every one of them is an opportunity to present the gospel message in the life of a person who probably needs to hear it. And so while we may be standing on truth and standing on the right words, we need to be very specific about saying those words in the right way. The, the people that we're talking with view our goodness, our, our moral stance, the boundaries that we stand in differently than we do. We, we want people to be blessed by a relationship with the Lord, by living according to his word, by growing in that, in that idea of goodness and seeing how it blesses their lives but to other people who, who see our lifestyle, they, they see that goodness differently. Sometimes they see it as, as a, a, a desperate struggle to adhere to a code that is unattainable. And they see us as legalistic as we struggle and strive to please a God who doesn't seem like he can be pleased. Other people see our, our commitment to morality as a condemnation of their lifestyle. And while we're hoping to help them see their need for Jesus, what, what they see in us is judgment. We need to be careful with the way that we talk about the love and grace of Jesus Christ so that when we are communicating with others, what they see is the truth and not a misconception of what we're hoping to convey. What we want to communicate is the power of the gospel, the power of the blood of Christ to change lives. And we need to allow that message to retain its power. We, we know that we should go boldly with that message. 
But we shouldn't allow that boldness to validate using the gospel as a weapon. We should represent the gospel authentically, becoming the love and grace of Jesus that we want others to understand. And by submitting to the Spirit and allowing Him to guide our words and reactions to other people, become a demonstration of what we want other people to see in Jesus. That instead of having them see us and our rightness and our superiority, that we would let them see through us and see the Lord and see their need for Him and allow the power of the gospel to do its work in their lives. That's what gentleness brings us to. Not only for the sake of the gospel, but also for the sake of people that we have relationships with. Gentleness that begins with meekness and adds humility and, and gentleness together for this complete submission is necessary in our lives, in marriages, as we, as we care for a spouse. And, and instead of, of dominating and demanding our own way, we submit to the Lord and care for that person that God has entrusted us with, encouraging them to be who God is calling them to be in our friendships with people at work or in the world around us. This gentleness calls us to set aside our selfishness and our agenda, to care for the people in our lives and help them be who God is calling them to be, to encourage them in their faith, to hold them accountable to the commitments that they've made to the Lord and to be with them and walk with them through life as we grow together in our understanding of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And also as we go into the world with this message, that we would hold that message high and honor the Lord in the way that we communicate it.